Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Morning. How many of you have at least heard in passing of uh, the Asbury Revival? What's going on? A few of you have. Uh, They've ended that revival uh, officially, and um, I was saddened. I was saddened to hear that, and so I, although I, I had seen, you might see the live broadcast that happened over the weekend at all, uh, they, they live streamed, which was my first entrance into, I've seen stills, and uh, via Instagram I had seen, uh, you know, some snippets that people had uh, posted, but nothing of a long, long version until uh, just a few nights ago when they ended with their final evening. And they streamed the whole thing. It was just a very beautiful, very beautiful thing. Very sad, in my opinion, that it's, that it's ending. And uh, it's, not, it's not ending, it's not dying of natural causes. It's being euthanized, uh, which makes it kind of sad. Um, if you're not aware, uh, there was an article written, which, I've, which I have read, and just a couple quotes from it. They're not against revival. This is from the article speaking to people that are there and in charge. They're not against revival, but they don't like the way that it has impacted their community. Hmm. These are direct quotes. <clears throat> and, uh, and then perhaps the, sat- the saddest quote is, uh, it's going to be a relief to get back to our small town life. It just makes me kind of sad. I mean, I believe America is ready for her next great revival, but there's going to be a price to pay. And I don't know if you know what that price is because the price is different for all of us, right? When the, when the Lord said, uh, I want it all, that means it's not the same for Devin as it is for Joni. It's different, but it's still all, and it takes all to have revival. It takes, it takes everything. And if I were, there's a number of elements, but one here for just for a second I'd like to, to have, have you participate with me is the idea that if you really want the presence of the Lord, if you really want to, to go into whatever the God has for you that's next level, it's going I'm sorry, in, in the age of convenience, right? Convenience food, convenience store. The price of revival is inconvenience. It's just not gonna be convenient. And some of you, are like that's just like fingers on a, chalk, uh, on a chalkboard. They still have chalkboards, by the way, don't they still have chalkboards? You know what I'm talking about? It's inconvenient. Well, that's when I eat dinner. Well, that's when I get up. Well, that's when I'm sleeping. Well, I, I'd rather do this. I always do that. I have this club, that club, the other club, and this club. And the kids have soccer and baseball and chess and basketball and hockey and, and, and volleyball and palms and cheerleading and dance. Did I miss some? Yeah, about 20. It's just not convenient. You want to play a game with me? I'll fold your hands. Ready? Some of you aren't playing, it's okay. You can be stubborn. (laughs) Fold your hands, now take your fingers and move them all over one spot. 
What if I said, you have to do it that way for the rest of your life? Why? 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 How come? I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's not the way I've always done it. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. Well, 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 welcome to what it's going, that's just a little flavor of what revival brings to your life. That's not the way we do life around our house. We do this, then we do that, then the kids, and the da, and da, 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 da. And I just ask you to move a finger over. You want to know why revival tarries? You want to know why it hangs out and doesn't come around very often? Because of the God of convenience that we have in our life. I'm telling you. History books record revivals. They don't talk to them about they don't talk to you about them in school because the school is godless. That's not a, a judgment, that's a fact. Uh, with great intentionality, our public schools are godless. I I I I was born in the early 60s when, of course, when p- prayer was taken out of school. Um, and I'm not necessarily advocating that prayer be put back in school, and that's a long, that's a long dissertation. Uh, because in today's culture, if you advocate putting prayer back in school, you'll be praying to Muhammad and Buddha and all of that other stuff, right? right? So, uh, but it's, it's a godless, so when, when history is discussed, we talk about, you know, even American history, we talk about, oh, we talk about Thomas Edison, we'll talk about the Declaration of Independence, we'll talk about all the things that, that are important governmentally, uh, geographically, but we don't talk about things spiritually at all. And so you may not know your history. And remember, if you're interested, I did do a series uh, three or four weeks long a month or so ago on kind of church history and took you through some things. And some of you were quite slack-jawed about, well, I never heard that. I never taught that. That's because they don't teach you that in, in public education. They, they, they try to dual track. They, they expunge anything God-related out of history and keep it very secular for you because it won't offend anybody. So I'm going to give you a little bit of American history, all right? But can we have it from a church perspective? Yeah? That'd be interesting. Now listen, there are other parallel events that happened during the time, but these are things that happened, and and the final thing, I'll, I'll dip into Europe for a second, but most of this you've never heard of before. But it's real, and you can look it up. I'm going to talk about revival. The last 250 years in America will show that there are about four major moves of God over the last 250 years. And each of them bring about what? Change. And change is what? Inconvenient. And the change happened in government, you'll see. It happened in community and it happened in the church. And the first gentleman I want to talk about in the, and the first great awakening, his name is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, he's quite the guy. Look at him. He, I don't know if I'd want him to be my pastor or not. He looks a little stern. He looks a little stern. Uh, and, and he checked his dates there. You're talking 1700s, right? You're talking prior to 1776. You're talking America is just getting her legs. We're about to have a revolution. And this is his life. Well, in 1741, he was pastoring a church in Massachusetts. He preached there in Connecticut as well. And he preached a sermon on July 8th, 1741. July 8th, 1741. 7 1741. A good date to remember as you drop things into your historical timeline. 
1741. He preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Boy, that'll rally them. <laughs> that'll get butts in the seats, won't it? <laughs> Come to church on Sunday. Really? What do you have? What's the pastor preaching? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh, yeah, sign me up for that one. You think that would go over? No, not today. But this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was the catalyst. It was the spark plug. It was, well, this is really weird, Miss O'Leary's cow. Anybody? A little bit of history there. Good for you, Illinoisans. It was Miss O'Leary's cow. It was, and some of you are going, wah, wah, wah. Look it up. So, so, <laughs> so it was this thing. It was this thing. It was this sermon that just began this this tidal wave, this, this, this chain of events that rippled across America. So I'm not going to bore you with the whole thing, but uh, would you like to hear a few excerpts of, of, of his sermon? Okay, good, good, because I'm going to read them anyway. So that's awesome. Uh, his text, his text was from Deuteron the main text for the sermon, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 35. Their foot will slip in due time. Right? Then he used Psalm 73, 18. Surely you set them on a slippery place. You cast them down to destruction. The only reason they have not, meaning sinners, the only reason they have not fallen already is that God's appointed time has not yet come. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And at the very instant he does, they will fall into destruction as a man standing on a slippery slope at the edge of a pit cannot stand unsustained. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. And from these words, I must insist, nothing keeps wicked people out of hell for a single moment except the mere pleasure of God. And by mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, which is, which is not him hindered or restrained in any way. It is only the sovereign will of God that preserves the life of a wicked person. Nothing else preserves the wicked for even a moment except the will of God. The truth of this observation may be seen in the following thought. God does not lack the power to throw wicked people into hell at any moment he wishes. The hands of man are weak when God is raised up against him. The strongest of men are defenseless against God, and no one can be rescued from his hand. God is not only able to throw people into hell, but he can also do it easily. Sometimes a ruler struggles to subdue a rebel because the rebel has strengthened his position, rallied other men to his aid. But this is not the way that God is. Nothing can defend you from his power. Even though wicked people join in great numbers against him, they shall easily be broken into pieces. They are like great piles of weightless chaff in a torrent or tornado. They're like heaps of dry stubble in the path of a devouring flame. We find it easy to step and crush a worm crawling on the ground. It is easy for us to cut or burn. It is it is easy for us to cut or burn a thread by which an object hangs. 
it is just as easy for God to cast his wicked enemies into hell whenever he pleases. We, who, who do we think we are that we can stand against him whose rebuke makes the earth shake and the mountains fall? The sword of the divine justice waves over our heads at every moment and nothing but God's sovereign mercy and mere will holds it from falling upon us. John 13, 8 says, he who does not believe is condemned already. This means that every unconverted person belongs in hell immediately. So the reason why God has not loosened his hand and cut them off is not that he is unaware of the wickedness or that he tolerates it. God is not like them, though they imagine him to be. The wrath of God is burning against them. Their damnation is not sleeping. The pit is well prepared. The fire is already made. The furnace is hot and ready to receive them. The flames even now rage and glow. The shiny sword is sharpened and held over them. The pit has opened her mouth under them. As greedy, hungry lions wait for an opportune moment to devour their prey so the demons of hell stand waiting for the wicked. They expect to get them, but they're held back for the moment. If God were to withdraw his hand, which is what restrains the demons, they would at once attack their poor souls. The devil himself is staring at them and his mouth is wide open and the mouth of hell waits to receive them. If God were to allow it, the wicked would quickly be swallowed up and lost. Perhaps the most famous and final phrase I'll read to you. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead and tend downward with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would no more influence or uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a fallen rock where if not for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you for one more moment. Ooh. That's a little rough, pastor. I think it's all true. And we just need to be reminded every once in a while that we're not playing a game, ladies and gentlemen. If you preach a sermon like that, no one will come back. If you preach a sermon like that, the entire America, entire North America could be transformed. Whose intelligence do you want to lean on? Who do you want to trust? Opinion groups? Oh no, that won't put rear ends in the seats. You preach like that, no one will come back. Really? How about... Tens of thousands of people getting saved. New churches, new denominations, colleges and universities. The effects of the first great awakening rippled across America from a little town in Connecticut. 60 years later, 
Interesting number to note, 60 years later, in the year 1800, we have what's called the Second Great Awakening. If you have the First World War, you're gonna have the Second World War. That's just how you go and start numbering things. So you had the First Great Awakening, the second is called the Second Great Awakening. A more common term might be the Cane Ridge Revival. Cane Ridge, that's a place in Kentucky. The Cane Ridge Revivals. This is a, this is a drawing of what one of those meetings looked like. They had what was called the mourner's bench. <laughs> it's the front row. Hey, you're asleep? You don't love God? Hey, hey, good morning, how are you? Do you know Jesus? No, you come on down front. You're sitting right down the front. Call that the mourner's bench. Anybody that's not saved, come on down front, sit down. We're going to make sure you hear everything clearly. Repentance was a big part of the Second Great Awakening. I have a little history book here for you rather than just uh, uh, bore you um, with facts. I'd like to, to read to you from some newspaper articles, different things that have been uh, kept over the years. Um, this is quite interesting. From the Cane Ridge Revival in June of, 19, uh, June of 1800. I told you it started in 1800. A multitude came to the small church in this, the Red River Valley Presbyterian Church. On the final day of the sermon, the occasion having around the instructor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Methodist pastor, John McKee, uh, asked to preach. He observed the people were, quote, listen, breaking up. That's an 1800s term. He politely went to them and said, uh, you need to regain your composure. You don't know these people, Presbyterians. They are much for order. They will not bear confusion. Go back and be quiet. I turned to go back and I was nearly falling. The power of God was so strong upon me. This is the pastor writing now after he told him to go be quiet. I turned again and losing sight of the fear of man, I went through the house shouting and exhorting with all possible ecstasy and energy and the floor was soon covered with the slain. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens. No person seemed to wish to go home. Hunger, sleep seemed to affect nobody. Eternal things were the vast concern. Sober professors who had been communicants for many years were now lying prostrate on the ground, crying out in a language like this, quote, oh, how I would have despised any person a few days ago who would have acted as who would have acted as I am doing right now? So here's the professor saying, if they were doing, if I would be, if they were doing that a few days ago, what I'm doing right now, I, I, would, have, I would have disdained them. But I can't help it. Persons of every description, white and black, they were found to be in every part of the multitude, crying out for mercy in the most extreme distress. In a meeting on the edge of the prairie, multitudes came together. The scene was strange. It baffled deception. Many, many fell down as if slain in battle and continued for hours together, apparently breathless in a motionless state. Cane Ridge Revival. Uh, I, I, one more. At one time, I counted seven ministers preaching all at the same time from a newspaper. 
So you imagine this meeting, and over there there's a camp, because you don't, you, don't have, you don't have amplification, you don't have that kind of stuff, so you got a camp meeting was in that little camp over there, they're having their meeting in this camp, and so you got seven, the whole Cane Ridge, Kentucky was covered. In this one particular meeting, there were seven meetings happening at the same time. Seven ministers all preaching at the same time on different stumps, others from wagons. Some people were singing, some people were praying, some people were crying for mercy. And I stepped up onto a log where could I have a better view of the surging sea of humanity. The noise was like the roar of Niagara. At one time I saw as many as 500 swept down in one moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened upon them and they immediately followed with shrieks and shouts and rent the very heavens. Wow, that's the Canaridge revival. 60 years later, 1857, a gentleman by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere, Jeremiah Lamphere, um, he was something else. Jeremiah Lamphere decided he, that, that, that New York, Philadelphia, needed God. So he printed up pamphlets to start a prayer meeting. You know how many people showed up to that amazing beginning of revival? Six. All the time, all the effort, all the energy, Levi, passing out all that stuff. So only six people showed up. Jeremiah Lamphere, he had a desire to lift up the fallen and care for the dying to assist the despairing multitudes in New York. He left his business, he walked away from his business at age 48, became a street missionary. One day, he, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, take your lunch hour and start a prayer meeting for revival. So he printed up tracts, passed them out, six people showed up. However, Prayer meetings soon were held every hour of the day in New York City, and not only in churches, but in theaters and in other public places. The fire spread from New York to Philadelphia, other cities, and swept the entire country all the way to Chicago. There was a 19-year-old kid in Chicago that got touched by Jeremiah Lamphere's prayer for revival. In fact, Churches were so full of people, they had, they had so many, they had so many uh, it was just packed out. So, so this young man, uh, a convert, shoe salesman by trade, went to the Plymouth Congressional Church, Congregational Church, asked to be made a Sunday school teacher. The Sunday school superintendent said he already had 16 teachers, too many, because of revival. So the youth said he insisted on doing something. So the Sunday school superintendent made a wise decision. He said, quote, to this young man, go get some boys off the street, teach them the Bible. When you have control of them, then you can bring them back to the church and you may start your class. So with eagerness, the young man took his boys to the beach uh, of Lake Michigan and he taught them there. He subsequently transformed them into a little church, transferred them to the church, and this was the beginning of a 40-year-long ministry of D.L. Moody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little two-minute video, you got that? Let's let it roll. The United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, 
Rumors of war. Turn up just a bit. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history, the kind textbooks don't mention, was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men. And they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it before or since. Global revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, people need to know, can history repeat itself? Yeah, I think it can. 60 years from the first great awakening, second great awakening, 60 years. 60 years later, Jeremiah Lamphere in New York City. 60 years after that, what do we have? We have the Pentecostal fire of the Welsh Revival and the Azusa Street Revival. Now you may be more familiar with Azusa Street, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. If you have any charismatic or Pentecostal tendencies, um, you're probably well aware of William Seymour and the, and the group that began what actually, in America, what actually started in Europe, in Wales. Wales is a part of the United Kingdom. If just go west out of London and you'll eventually run into that portion of the island where the Welsh people are. It was quite a dramatic uh, effect on that little portion of Great Britain. In 1904, from the Welsh newspaper, speaking on the revival, 1904, it springs up from the poor and the lowly. It's not worked up by so-called leaders. It doesn't depend on machinery or ecclesiastical manipulation. It's carried on by the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine reading something like that in today's paper? Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts is, is the, kind of the leader of the day. The evangelist, meaning him, Evan Roberts, he's not a scholar, not a higher critic, not a college man. Roberts is poor, an illiterate boy out of one of the mines. They mined lots of, I believe it's coal. 
with bare common school education. He gives God all the glory, though, keeps it in the spirit, does not hinder him, does not frustrate the grace of God. Not many wise, not many mighty are called, but God hath chosen the weak things, yea, the base things, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Formality is excluded. There are no paid choirs, exclamation point, it says. No pipe organ, only Jesus. One more, I'll be done. One of the best stories out of the Welsh Revival, and it's, it's worth repeating because uh, it's just so p- profound. Uh, let me just synopsize. There, I'll just read it. It's, it's, it's faster. In 1904, Welsh Revival so radically altered the Valley of Wales that the animals employed by the colliers, guys that were in the coal mines, the animals that pulled the trains out of the, the, out of the coals, bringing coal up out of the mines, had to be taken away and retrained. Prior to revival, they responded only to kicking, yelling, and cursing. So many miners converted, and there's an article here where 300 underground bent their knee and lifted their hands to Jesus in a coal mine underground. So many miners were converted that their cleaned up language confused their horses and mules. (laughs) They did not know how to work and needed to be retrained. Wow. Then what happened 60 years later from that revival? This is, this is more modern history. History will write this, but in the 1960s there was what? The Jesus, Jesus Catholic, the charismatic Catholic renewal, the Jesus movement where you had hippies, like real hippies, not like modern day wannabe hippies. I'm like real hippies. Bell bottoms and no shoes come in and sit on the floor. And you either accepted that or you didn't. And the churches that said that's okay flourished. And we had then what? Great outpouring. Some of you are in this room today because of the Jesus movement back in the day. That was in the 1960s. Well, what's 60 years after that? Guess who turned 60 this year? We are, we are right on the cusp of what I believe if history bears out, at least for the last, if you can look at 250 years of American history, if you can say every 60 years, give or take a year, one way or the other, every 60 years, and we had this back in the 60s, what are we waiting for? Well, revival produces three things. It produces faith in Jesus, It produces a godly character and a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what we want, right? It's what we desire. Well, that's what will happen and what has happened. But only when we decide to do what the Bible tells us to do. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.20. If that's not one of your underlying scriptures, it really should be. 
Why? Well, here's a factoid for you. God, I've spent a lot of time researching this, so I'm going to tell you categorically. God is always for revival. He's not ever, no, 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 no. No revival for them. (laughs) What? That sounds silly. Exactly. So if God is always for it, who's against it? Why? Inconvenient right now. Now's not a good time, Lord. Now's not a good time. I just bought a field. I just bought a cow. I just got married. Can't do it right now. Too busy. I got to take care of business. I got this side hustle. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm way too busy. I mean, all I've done really with church is just kind of slap it onto my life anyways. It's not who I am. It's just like a little, it's like a sticker I wear. I can take it off when I go to the party. God is always pro-revival. In fact, he's more than pro-revival. He's pro-vival. He'd rather not have revival. That means you used to have it. He wants you to be vibed. Right? When a sinner gets saved, what happens? Did they have revival? No, they got vibed. They became alive. You once were dead in your transgressions and sins, but now you are vibe, viva. You are alive. You are life. You, be, you, 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 you tasted it. You got it. But what happens, and, and, and I've done this long enough, 33 years now, to, to have enough evidence that you have, you have people that get vibed and then they begin to treat what is very uncommon as common. They begin to take it for granted, whatever it is in their life, their walk with the Lord, the, the, what happened to them on that day when all of a sudden the grass was greener and the sky was bluer and the 10,000 pounds of bricks that were on your back were taken off. Now you've gotten used to that. Remember when you used to roller skate? I don't know if that's a deal. I recently went roller skating with the church. I don't think I'll do that again for a while. <laughs> but, but remember when you used to roller skate? I don't know if you were, you roller, then you take your skates off. You feel like you can jump 100 feet in the air, right? Because you had these skates on your feet, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But then after a while, it kind of goes back to normal. Well, when you get born again, when you get vibed, when you become alive in Christ, you can have a tendency to begin to take that for granted. Oh, yeah, it's praise and worship. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be 10 minutes late. It's no big deal. treating the uncommon as though it's common. And it's, there's a phrase that I, that I use occasionally, and it's very apropos here, and that is we give God the polite golf clap. You know what that is? Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay. Good. You go. Good job, God. Awesome. Just to not... not uh, you want to... Oh... All right, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you how it works. Okay, everybody raise your hand. Okay, okay. Now raise your hand a little higher. Why didn't you put it up that high the first time? You got, you got a fistful of arrows. You're supposed to beat the ground. Tap, 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 tap. 
You gotta be all in. When I, rock, when I walked around this campus seven times, I picked up a stick every time I walked around the campus claiming this, this building for our own. And I knelt right down out there and the Lord gave me that scripture. He said, you take those sticks you have and I want you to beat them against the ground. And I beat them until my knuckles bled. It wasn't very convenient. Do you want it or don't you? Do you want it or don't you? Do you want it or don't you? Indifference, apathy, taking it for granted. I don't know what you want to call it. You just get used to living in your pain. You get used to living in your pain. My wife calls me the princess and the pea. You know the story? I don't know if you know the story. But it's this person who's able to identify the fact that they have a, a pea underneath 27 mattresses or whatever the story goes. Because if something just isn't right for me, I don't let it be. I'm not going to live with the pain. We're going to fix it. One of the saddest things I see in light of the marriage conference from this past weekend is when two, two they you could say elderly, but any married couple that sit across from each other having dinner and never say a word to each other. That makes me really sad. And that's how some people are with God. They come to his table every Sunday and they just stir their soup. And if you take time to study revival, as I have, particularly these four major ones in America and throughout time, you'll see there's a cyclical pattern and the pattern looks like this. You become apathetic and then you begin to compromise and once you compromise, you begin to sin and then sin leads to bondage. And until that pain of bondage, till the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change that you'll stay in your bondage. You'll live with the pee under your mattress or whatever physical ailment, whatever emotional, whatever spiritual situation you find you're in. You'll continue to do what you've always done and get what you've always got and you'll be in bondage. You'll be making bricks without straw the rest of your life. And then your obituary will say, oh, he was a good person. What? Is that what you're living for? I'm not gonna take you through six revivals in the Old Testament, though I could. I'll summarize them like this. There was 339 years from 1389 B.C. to 1050 B.C. where there were six revivals. Interesting, uh, this morning I thought to myself as I was looking over my notes, I thought, how many years is that? 339 years? What if I were to divide that by 60? What would the average be? Every 57 years. Six times it happens in the book of Judges. I'll just give you a, a, an aerial helicopter view. In Judges chapter two, after the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That apathy is about to step in here. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals, the false gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers that brought them out of Egypt and they followed and worshiped various gods and people around them and they provoked, they provoked the Lord to anger. Why? 13, because they forsook him and served their false gods. The result of apathy 
equals compromise. I don't care. Well, then I don't, if, you, if you don't think, if you don't think that sinners aren't in the hands of an angry God, then what happens? You'll compromise. You'll cut a corner. Not that big a deal. No one's watching. Not a big deal. No, your life hangs like a rock. A piece of lead that a, a spider web could not hold it. That's what your life is. So compromise does what? Leads to sin. Missing the mark. And then eventually you get into bondage and suffering. So later, keep reading, same text, in Judges 2.14. In his anger against Israel, so the Lord got angry at you, I mean Israel. And the Lord handed you, America, over to the raiders. Oh, America's a, America's a blessed country. Yeah, it is. But you know what? You poke God in the eye long enough. He can go, that's what you want? That's what you want? In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to the raiders who plundered them, and he sold them, who Israel, he sold Israel to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. I just can't resist TikTok anymore. Can't resist my Chinese products anymore. It'd be inconvenient. I don't know. Maybe that's a political statement. I'm just trying to, hit, trying to find a mark that hits you somewhere. That's all. Whenever Israel went out to fight, verse 15, the hand of the Lord said, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Whenever you went out, whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them and defeated, the Lord defeated them. Our enemies, no, the Lord said, I'm tired of your wickedness. And he uses unholy, wicked countries to come and overtake them. Why? To get them out of their apathy. Out of their sin and their bondage. Why? So that the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain that will be in the change. And until that happens, there's no cry for prayer. There's no repentance. You will continue to live with the pee under your mattress. Is this making sense to anybody? So Judges 3.7, Judges 3.15, Judges 4.3, Judges 6.6, Judges 10.10. Those are all the revivals. And then Judges 10.10, it ends like this. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They finally got a clue. They cried out, we've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And so what's the result? Revival. And so you have this pattern in the book of Judges. When they were doing good, it was good. When they were doing bad, it was really bad. But when they were doing good, when they, when they repented, they said, God, we screwed up. We got. Then they gave them people like Deborah and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah. You see all, you remember those names. I can give you the names of the bad ones. You won't know who they are. Six times you see this pattern in the Old Testament and in the four revivals in America. And so our mission, your mission today is, put the, put the pattern back up for me again there for a second, Rose. The pattern that you have to discern this morning is where are you? Where are you in the cycle? It's cyclical. Oh, we need revival. I said we're on the cusp of the 60 years. You know what's happened over the last 55 years in America? I hate to tell you that. It's brought us to a breaking point. God is bringing us to a breaking point. Divorce rate is up in the last 50 to 55 years. Divorce rate's up 
just in my lifetime, in 60 years. STDs among teenagers up 226%. Unwed births up 325%. Pregnancies to girls ages 10 to 14 up 553%. Virtual reality porn, that's a thing now, will pass the $1 billion mark in the next 12 to 18 months. I also read that one out of every five Google searches is for porn in America today. Violent crime during my lifetime when my mom used to say, go outside and don't come back till the street light turns out. Is up 995%. Child abuse up 2300%. Does America need revival? Yeah. People that don't know God, though, they'll, they'll want to keep you entertained, they'll want to numb you, they'll want to keep you comfortable with whatever pain that you do have, because they can't fix it. You know what they do? They throw more money at it. Here, let's, let's throw some more of your own money back at you. If we just throw more money at the problem, that'll fix it. Better drugs, more diversions, more entertainment, more handouts. Apathy. And then... Compromise and sin and bondage and addictions to drugs and food and alcohol and prescription drugs and sex and shopping and consumerism. Where is my new phone? Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, selfie. Oh, beautiful picture of me. Me, 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 me. What do we call these? My wife and I, some of you know, my wife and I on vacation a couple weeks ago. And we were there, I won't say the group, we were there with a bunch of beauty consultants. They had a, they had a, a what do you call it, a conference happening at the place where we were. At the same time, we were just trying to chill out. They were in selfie heaven. <laughs> they were at this beautiful place and it was a fashion show and you know, it was, oh yeah, more, more, oh. No, try it again. I saw one woman with her husband standing in the pool. She jumped in the pool like seven times to get just the right on her face when she was jumping in the pool. We're addicted to ourselves. So here's the pill. Here's the, here's the bitter pill. Where are you at it in this cycle? And here's, what, here's a really another part of the bitter pill is unfortunately, and fortunately, but more unfortunately, I believe, we are, am I that much over time? You're gonna have to sit there for a minute. Is that okay? All right, so, um, I mean, you can leave if you need to. I'm not, you know, we don't have Gestapo at the door or anything, but, but um, we're all in the same boat. Well, they can do, if they do that, that's fine. You know, it doesn't bother me. You're in the same boat. They're just at the front of the boat and you're at the back of the boat or vice versa. But if there's the whole of the boat, guess what? We're all going down. 
This, if it's good for you, it's, hey, listen, it's not, no, 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 no. It doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't float for me. That's why, that's why I'm glad that J.B. Pritzker has never gotten within arm's length of me. The guy's wicked. He's wicked. And I think if more preachers stood up and said, the governor of our state is wicked, that we might have a better state. Now, you may have voted for J.B. Pritzker. I'm sorry, you did. I mean, look what we have because of you. What do, which one do you want? Do you want me to throw this away or no? Okay. Then sit there and take it. They can cancel the TV show. That's fine. I don't care. I love how they put the disclaimer at the beginning of my sermons each week. The contents of this sermon are not necessarily representative. We do not represent ABC News or That's fine. But if we had some more righteous people stand up and say, that's wrong, that's evil, that's wicked, stop trying to change the sex of a seven-year-old, that's wrong, stop killing babies, stop, you know. But, well, it's, it's, it's not me. It's an, no, we're in the same boat. I live in Illinois like you live in Illinois. I live in America like you live in, well, you know, Biden and this Trump or whatever. Listen, those are not, <laughs> they are not your savior. They are not your savior. Make some wise decisions. Vote for some good people. This is not a political message whatsoever. But if your Christianity does not affect your politics, you're not a Christian. So there you go. All right, aren't you glad you stayed? I'm just about done. All right, so here we go. We got to work our way through apathy, right? Right? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, pro revival, right? Don't make me do the hand thing again. And from now on, whenever anyone asks you, ask you raise your hand. You better raise it all the freaking way. All right, Gypsy Smith. You don't know this guy. Gypsy Smith was a revivalist back in the 30s. He said this: Revival doesn't happen over there. Revival doesn't happen over there. Well, it happens in the church and it needs to happen here. Okay. Pastor, start revival. Have a revival. What? You know, if, 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 um. he said this, Gypsy Smith uh, said this. He said, if you want revival, it's a, it's, it, it's a cliche now, but you may not know who said it and why. Revival is not over there. He says revival is here. And if you want revival, how many you want revival? You raise your hand. You raise as high as you can. You say, okay, you want revival. You want revival in the church? Yes, I want revival in the church. Well, we need to have we need to have better music. We need to have better preaching. We need to have better carpet. We need to have better lights. We need to have no. You don't need any of that. They were laying in the grass in the fields of Cambridge, Kentucky. Don't tell me you need a seventy-two degree room. Don't tell me you need a seventy-two degree room and just the right seat, and just the right song, and just the right ambience. You know what? That's placing the blame on someone else for your apathy. Revival doesn't happen over there. He said, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle on the ground, and stand in the middle of that circle until revival starts there. Then you will have revival. That's what he said. So it's not... It's not the person's neck. If my, if my husband, if my husband would just, if my wife would just, my kids would, no, no, no. No, I'm asking you to, to be a little inconvenience yourself. Draw a circle somewhere in your life and say, I'm going to stay here. 
and the dogs of hell are not going to be able to drag me away from this, and I am going to go after God with such tenacity that that will change my family tree. So here's the quiz. Here's the quiz. You ready for the quiz? Fill in the blank. If who? Who? Those Democrats, those Republicans, those Independents, if those Presbyterians, if those Catholics could find, if those Pentecostals, no, you, sir, you, ma'am, my people, my people, that means you, that means draw the circle, it's not my fault, it's not, it's not their fault, it's your fault, you don't have, re- you need revival, yes, oh, I want revival, then do it, don't wait for it, do it, start it, where, now, where, in your home, so much that your dog will have to be retrained. <laughs> if my people who are called by my name will do what? And then what? Pray. And then what? Seek my face. And then what? Ah, turn from their wicked ways. You know what those are? Those are the four elements of baking a cake. If you don't have all that stuff, you just, it's just not going to work for you. Well, I got plenty of flour. But what's the flower? I don't know. We'll make, it, we'll make humility flower. I got plenty of flour. I'm praying. There's sugar. Seeking his face. Oh, there's the eggs. Turn from their wicked. Uh, now I like worship. I'm going to walk in humility. And if I got to turn from my wicked ways, I just don't think that's going to work for me today. That's too inconvenient because I like how this sin feels in my life. You know what that is? What is it, what is it uh, in uh, baking, a little, little uh, baking powder? You don't put the baking powder in, ladies, what happened? You ain't going to have a cake. You have a big fajita. That's what you're going to have. <laughs> so I'm telling you, those are the, if my people, that means you, do those four things, then you're going to bake a cake called revival. Walk in humility. Turn up in prayer, seek his face, and turn from your sin. Walk in humility. Well, I'm humble. You know, you know how you know if a person isn't humble is if you give them a medal for humility and they wear it. Now, some of you have been around me long enough. You're a growth track leader. You're a connect group leader. And you saw how things were done. 20 years ago in my ministry. And it's not, it's not like that now for you. The classes are different and the encounter is different and that's wrong. No, it's not. Why don't you shut up? Why don't you humble yourself? Just for a second, humble yourself. We're two decades later, ladies and gentlemen. We're moving towards something. We're not running from something. In life, in general, never run from something, always run towards something. And I know what I'm running towards, and you know what has to happen? There has to be course adjustments, and things need to change. And if you don't like that things aren't the way they were 20 years ago, have an attitude adjustment, please. I'm tired of hearing it in my ears. And I know who you are. I don't really, but that right there just shot, shock waves through some of you. 
So you walk in humility, please, please. We are all on a journey. We all have something to learn, right? I do not have all the answers, but I'll tell you what God honors, hunger, grit, determination, tenacity, not settling for second. I wanted to quote Ricky Bobby there. Could I do that just for a second? If you're not first, you're last. I don't, I don't want to just barely get into heaven. I want to be at the, I want to be at the front of the line. Oh, open the door. Open these gates. Let me in. <laughs> What's taking so long? <laughs> then you got to turn up in prayer. I wasn't here for prayer meeting this morning. I was doing uh, first steps class upstairs. But hopefully you're here for prayer. I mean, that's organized and that's great. And that's 30 minutes. But what about your house? Are you praying at your house? Are you praying at home? Are you praying at home? My wife and I pray together every day, every morning, every night, every day. Prayer is the catalyst. I don't, I, I don't think God does anything except he, he, uh, he leans on the prayers of his people. I have on my wall in my office in, at my house, I have a prayer that General Patton wrote for the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. He wrote, he had the clergy come in, said, write a prayer, we need this rain to stop. <laughs> Can you imagine a general today? Can you imagine a general today? He called the clergy in, write a prayer for the rain to stop. It's been raining too long, we can't get our tanks into the mud, we can't liberate Europe. Patton, right? Dude's no sissy. But he knew what was what. He wrote a prayer, the clergy wrote a prayer, Colonel looked at it, not the colonel, the, excuse me, the general looked at it. All right. Boom. They printed up a quarter of a million of them and gave them to every serviceman in World War II. I have a copy. I have an authentic one. A prayer sanctioned by General Patton so that they could win the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. If my people pray... It's the key. Seek his face. As charismatic Pentecostals, evangelicals, oftentimes we seek his hand. God gives you grace, and God gives you mercy, and God gives you this, and God gives me provision, and God gives me a new house, and God gave me a new job, and God gave me a great spouse, and God gave me, and God gave me, and God gave me, and pretty soon we can seek just his hand. You ever had a child that only wants what you can give them? Yeah, it gets tiresome. How about the child just climbs up in your lap and says, I love you, Dad. Then you go, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give you everything, anything you want, I'll give it to you now. Right? Now how it works? And then the tough one, turning from your sin, which is repenting, that's your change of thought and action. Ryan did a great job talking about that a couple weeks ago. Just like the book of Judges, just like the four revivals, Corporate revival, that's what we want, but we can't have corporate revival unless you're revived. Because if you want corporate revival, you want it over there. And if it isn't just the way it is, it, you know, it's inconvenient. We're going to shut it down because of the inconvenience in the town, and we want to get back to our nice rural life. 
I'm not here for 70 some odd, 80 or whatever the Lord allows me. I'm not here to live a comfortable life. Stop letting comfort be your God. I am anything but comfortable right now. I'm very uncomfortable. But you do what you got to do because that's what you're called to do. That's how it works. So, it's going to affect your cell phone. It's going to affect your home. It's going to affect your church. It's going to affect your ministry. It's going to affect everything. Judges 10.10, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you. God always responds to a desperate cry of his children. Psalm, 150, Psalm 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a, a broken and contrite heart you have not despised. What does that mean? I don't care how broken you are, God still wants you. Jonah from the belly of the whale, Job in the depths of despair, Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. I could preach about revival forever, for days. I know I'm well past many of your limits, and I don't apologize. I know it's just a bit uncomfortable. So thank you. I appreciate, and I do, there is, a, there is a little bit of a pastoral bone in me that says, yes, they need to go home. But I needed to get my point across to you today. If you're in, put the cycle back up last time for me, please. If you're in this cycle somewhere, and every one of you are in one of those five points, there are some of you in revival right now in your life. Thank you. Be contagious, please. But if you're not in revival and you're a connect group leader, stop being a connect group leader. If you're a growth track teacher and you're not in revival, stop being a growth track teacher. If you're a pastor and you're not in revival, stop being a pastor. Yes, we ebb and flow. We all ebb and flow. But if you're, just not, if you're not on fire for God and you're just average Joe Christian, listen, get out of your apathy. Because I'll tell you what comes after apathy. If you just start to just a polite golf clap, half hand raise for God, and sings my soul, my Savior. We all know when that happens. Then sings my soul. Right there, nice and comfortable. Who is the Christian comedian, Joey? That I'm thinking about. Tim Hawkins that has all the different hand motions for, you know, the carry the TV, praise the Lord. What is it? Carry the TV, praise the Lord. And the what? And the what? My fish is this big, praise the Lord, and, and all of that. Thank you, Joey. I knew I could count on you, bro. Right. I'm far afield. I'm far afield. I'm far afield. I'm just telling you, you're in this line somewhere, and that leads to compromise and sin, and maybe sin got a hold of you. Maybe sin got a hold of you. Just a hook. Hey, heads up. Sin never knocks on the front door. She never knocks on the front door. Bondage. Now you've been, you've been hanging around that compromise long enough. Now, gotcha. I had some medical situation. Have you ever smoked? Are you a smoker? I said, no, no, I never smoked. No, I said, I didn't say I never smoked. She goes, are you a smoker? I said, no. She goes, did you ever smoke? Yes. Because in high school, man, I was like a chimney. <laughs> I smoked like a freaking chimney. 
I did. <laughs> My dad was a cigarette salesman. I was bound to do that, right? <laughs> For real. So I'm gonna tell you something, and you'll, you'll agree with this. Compromise going into bondage. My last example, then I'll let you go home. Compromise into bondage. No one ever smokes their first cigarette and goes, boy, I want to be addicted to these. They go, <laughs> right? Isn't that how it went? Is that how it went? No, not for you. You went, oh, yeah, oh, I love that, man. No, that wasn't you. That wasn't you, was it? It was, no, you're, you're saying, don't do that. But what happened was nicotine or whatever, it finally hooked you, finally got you. That's what happens in every sin in life. When you compromise, eventually, don't, oh, no. Now you're in bondage, which means you're like the Egyptians in Egypt. You can't get out by yourself. You need the power of God to help you. You need the Moses of the Holy Ghost to come set my people free. And then you know what happened? You got out of Egypt. I know there's a whole other sermon. You got out of Egypt, then you wish you could go back because it's so hard and hot out here. I want the leeks and the onions of Egypt. I like it out here. There's no water. There's no food. God sends water. God sends meat. I said, oh, I want to go back. But then it got bad enough. Why? Because God said, okay, all right, fine. 40 years out here. I was going to take you right there. It'd been about a seven-day walk. Now you're going to spend 40 years out here. Who did that to them? They did it to themselves. But God said, you're going to spend 40 years out here until they finally got serious with God and they said, okay, we got we, we to be done with this. And that's where some of you are. You're at that place you're going, I got to be done. I'm so over the bondage in my life. I got to have it. And that's why the church exists for all of these steps, wherever you're at. And then revival. And then once you get it, your only goal is to maintain it to stoke the fire. Now you stoke a fire is you put more fuel on it. If you don't have air, you don't have fuel, you're not gonna have fire. So what happens is, here's what happens. You have revival. Boom, I'm alive. Oh, that's great. But if you don't continue to stoke the flame, what's gonna happen is the flame's gonna go out because you're gonna go back into apathy. So what happens is, once you say, boom, I'm alive in Christ. First time salvation or born again or, or revived. I'm, I'm alive in Christ. Wow, this is awesome. It's amazing. God is good. This is fantastic, right? What happens then is if you don't soak the fire, it goes out. So you have to soak the fire. What do you soak the fire with? Your sin, the chaff of your life. Because what God saved you from when you got saved, when you got revival, oh my gosh. And I've had revival, person I've been born again. The phrase I use is I was born again, again. Right? So what happens, if you don't, well now all of a sudden, some of those attitudes you had before are not acceptable anymore and God points that out to you. I mean, I'm saying, I mean, the world is beautiful right now and then all of a sudden, three weeks later, God says, well, I don't like the, the way you treat your whatever. I don't like how you do that. I, don't, I saw you do that. And, I don't, I'm, and if you begin to ignore those, that's the fresh fuel he's asking you to put on the fire, see? If you ignore that, then apathy, compromise, bondage. But as long as you remain sensitive to the spirit and you're attuned to it, like, oh, that wasn't a good attitude. Hey, I'm so sorry, Cheryl, that I said that. I really apologize. It wasn't the best thing, you know. But if I, well, screw that. She should know me after 38 years. I don't like when she does that, da 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 And then compromise, apathy, compromise, bondage. And everything. Okay? Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of business right there. Why don't y'all stand up with me?
We have some prayer team. I'm asking the prayer team to come down front because you may be in that place of prayer right now that you need prayer in this cycle. That you may need prayer. And uh, so I'm going to ask that the, the prayer team come on up. And I know we have an annual business meeting that's going to happen here in about 10 minutes. And I'll, we'll keep that super short. I, I appreciate that. So if you're not a member, you're still welcome to stay. But I'm willing to be inconvenienced so that you have time for prayer, right? So I'm going to ask that we bow our heads and pray. If you need prayer at this time, now's the time to come forward for whatever. And we'll pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, you've shown us, you've shown us your character. And as people step out now and come forward and let the Lord just minister, say, listen, now it's going to be inconvenient. I know it's inconvenient. But you need someone to pray with you. Or you just need to come by yourself. You just need to come down here and get on your face. No matter where you're at in that cycle. Say, it's time. Does America need revival? Yes. That means you need revival. Because we're all in the same ship. Forgive us, Lord. Seek your face. We'll do it more than just on Sunday morning. You'll be more than a Christian sticker that we wear. You'll be our all in all. You'll be the center of our life and a home. You'll change the way that we talk, the way that we write, the way that we think, the way that we interact with people, the way we work, the way we show up for our kids or our grandkids, the way that we do everything that we do. Father, may your spirit be with us as we go this week. May we be filled with humility and your peace. We ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.